Welcome to Rec Talks, a podcast dedicated to the ever-evolving world of RecTech and financial regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Know Your Customer. We are an award-winning RecTech provider specialized in corporate client onboarding KYC and anti-money laundering process digitization. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Mehdi Swedi as my guest. Mehdi the head of Startup Exchange, DBS's FinTech Innovations and Accelerator. His expertise is in building meaningful connections between the bank and various startups locally and globally. Mehdi is also the founder and creator of a social media series and weekly newsletter, What the FinTech, covering all the latest Hong Kong and Asia FinTech news, as well as insights and intelligence impacting the financial sector. In 2020, Asian private banker awarded him as FinTech Changemaker of the Year, and Tatler Magazine recognized him as Generation T Leaders of Tomorrow. Mehdi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for these uh, really nice introductions. My pleasure. Mehdi, you have an extensive background working with RecTech and FinTech providers, as well as established financial institutions. That gives you great insights into the way these two types of businesses can work together to drive innovation forward. I'd love to know what are some of the most important lessons you've learned regarding this not always easy business relationship? What I've learned is that it's not always easy to, uh, to collaborate between startups and corporate because there is a culture in the corporate where you believe that you can have access to all the features directly. And then a startup is more like doing a race. So lean management is really important on both sides. And what means lean management is it's, you need to start with a core problem statement that you can solve. So it's like you start to not drive a car, but you start to use a skateboard as the first step of what you want to deliver. So you cannot deliver all the color, all the features, all the capabilities of solution first, but you need to start with what is the most essential and mandatory uh, solution that you need to provide to a problem. And after this, you can add bricks by bricks, features by features, a solution we can be really game-changing in the industry. But this is not always easy for both sides to understand that you need to collaborate more than a couple of weeks to deliver a solution we can take maybe six months or one year. I agree. We had the same experience with a traditional financial institution. What I think is, is interesting there is that a minimum viable product can be a range of things and there is different expectations in the startup and the established financial institution how minimal is enough to to get something working and i think that's the the biggest problem and both sides have to learn startups have to deliver a more full featured product from the beginning in a higher level of professional service than they would normally do you need to have some success of criteria uh, really well designed for, from both the bank and the startup, but also everything out of scope to protect the project and not lose the focus. What advice would you give to the startup side about what to do before they start this project with uh, a financial institution? I think two things are really important is to find the right market fit for the startup. I met a lot of companies and I think most of them has a really big issue to find what is the market fit for them. 
So what do you really solve and how, what is the difference between you and the traditional actors right now in the market? But also what is the difference between you and your competitors? Are you cheaper? Are you solving the issue real time? Are you changing the user journey? Uh, why someone like your father or mother will use your solution, but also your friends? And why are not they using it right now? This is uh, one of the biggest questions you can ask yourself. The second one will be to come with a proof that everything is working and really be uh, transparent with uh, the, your partner. What you can do, you do it. What you cannot do, don't do it because it will postpone the development for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. So try to find the best way to work on a SaaS model, maybe on your cloud solution with a bank. And after this, if it's a success, because you put some KPIs on your project, you can uh, elaborate how you can onboard with the bank and how you can deploy the solution or on their cloud or on the premises for them. Mm-hmm. But here is, um, you need to concentrate. You need to concentrate on, on specific things that you do well. Don't overpromise. Exactly, yes. I think uh, we, we've learned a lesson or two over the last five years uh, working with financial institutions and counterintuitively focusing our message on a more specific part of what, in our case, KYC is and what anti-money laundering means and not trying to offer all things KYC and all things anti-money laundering to the market at the same time. Uh, That was really a game changer for us. It's much easier uh, once you concentrate and and tell the world what you do, especially well, what is your one thing that you do best in the market. Midi, you come across a lot of new technologies in fintech and the reg tech space. What do you see as the most interesting emerging tech? Which solutions have the greatest potential currently for disruption and change, especially for more traditional financial institutions? Interesting question. I will say, and you may agree with me, AI and machine learning, it's really important, especially on the, on the reg tech side. On, on the fraud side, it can be really interesting we can see a couple of uh, nice applications to detect unusual behavior of, of a customer or an employee. So what is an unusual uh, behavior for a customer? For example, if you withdraw every week uh, 100 euros and suddenly you withdraw 2,000 euros and over the past two years, you never did it, what can happen to you? So the company via different source of data based on AI will have red flag. So they will say, be careful because this customer just did something really unusual for him. You may need further investigation and this should be done by human and not the machine. A second thing on reg tech would be the credit willingness. There is a couple of things that are really fascinating about the AI. I can give you an example here and it's kind of a fun fact. There is two fun facts I can share with you. The first one is based on your level of battery that you have on your phone, we can create a profile to know if you are will to pay back your loans or not. And, and the thing is, it's not us doing that, but the data shows that if you have a, always a low level of battery on your phone, you will be less committed to give back your mortgage to the bank, to pay back your mortgage to the bank. But you have uh, an average, a high level of battery, it means you're more committed on your financial needs and requirements. So you will have uh, most of the time a better payer there than, uh, than on a lower level of battery. And there's another thing that we can use and it's still not based on the, on a gender or on any estimation, but only based on the data, is with the uh, signature movement of your phone, 
we can estimate your gender. Why? Because men uh, has their phone on their pocket and women uh, has most of the time their phone on their bike. So the movement of the bike is higher in terms of rotation. So you can estimate, like, I think it's more than 90% accurate right now, if it's a male or female, having the phone on the bike or on the pocket based on the signature movement. That's that's very cool application. We use AI in our products as well. And uh, I, we came basically to the same conclusion. Uh, it's, it's best to be used in very specific applications and then at the end, there's still a human that uh, oversees the decisions and you don't just push them through to the, to the live system. But it's a fantastic filter and a fantastic uh, way of making less work for the humans. Another question. I'm a big fan of your What the Fintech social media series and weekly newsletter. Based on your insights and research, what do you think are the most vibrant regtech markets in the region? And uh, are there any underdogs that we should watch? It's, it's a very interesting question. Uh, I would like to say the big focus right now is on a, on a central bank digital currency. It's really huge in China right now, but not only in China. HKM in Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, but we also see uh, that Australia are looking at it really seriously. And they're doing a lot of uh, investigation and pilot right now. So I thought the figures of China, they are just uh, incredible recently. I think they did like 2 billion of transfer recently in October. And they plan to use the digital currency uh, during the Olympic Games next year uh, because they will have the Winter Olympic Games. So they use, they use the phone has a, a tap-and-go uh, method of payment or QR code right now. Mm. And this is changing the way that we are looking for the security of the bank account, the security of the payment system, and they redesign everything. It, like really the banking uh, industry and infrastructure and payment infrastructure, because you don't have to, uh, to make a payment directly with a, a point of sales, right? So you don't need to have all this uh, device. You just can use uh, tablet on another phone. So this is really huge right now. And we can see a lot of collaboration between Hong Kong and Thailand, China and other countries, but also yes. Australia doing a lot of research on it. DBS is, is obviously an, uh, very active in Singapore and Hong Kong and all over Asia. Do you see any differences there um, between those large markets in terms of fintech and regtech adoption? Yes, in a way, because Asia is really fragmented. Uh, you don't have the same regulation in Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, and other countries. So this is the biggest problem compared to Europe where you have a, a unifying system. So at least you have like 90% or more of the rules that are the similar for the onboarding and all the things related to the financial services. In China and Hong Kong and Asia, it's like really fragmented still yet. And you cannot onboard someone in Hong Kong the same way that you onboard them in Singapore. At the moment, I, I don't see that much of a difference there in any way between Hong Kong and Singapore. They're both working very intensely with uh, new technologies. Both have virtual banks set up now at the start. Hong Kong was ahead there. So there, there's a lot happening in, in both uh, these markets. Everyone is following closely the evolution of digital banking license in, in, in Asia generally. What do you think will be the longer term impact of this trend on the sector as a whole? Basically, today, the virtual banks has only the basic uh, needs and basic services of a bank. So what is a virtual bank in Asia? A virtual bank in Asia, it's a, a digital application you can have on your phone, do your onboarding and your basic services today. 
where you can open a bank account in a couple of minutes. You can do a deposit of a couple of minutes. And some of the virtual banks propose you different offers or payment solution or a loan application on their phone, but also a, de- a good deposit rate if you use it as your main bank account. So we saw a couple of offers to 5% interest rate on the deposit during three months, for example, in the past. Now you have more and more collaboration offers with their uh, partners that they choose. Uh, with a, a cash rebate you can have on your bank account, with some discount you can have. In the future, they will go more and more for an application, of course, and they will also go for wealth management. One virtual bank says that they have 180,000 clients over the past months. Another one just claims that they have, in average, 72,000 uh, Hong Kong dollars uh, has a deposit in average on the, on the bank accounts. So I'm really curious to see how uh, the customer will use and more and more of those virtual banks uh, on a daily basis, but also what kind of features they will propose to the clients. Robot advisory, uh, wealth management, as I mentioned just before, potentially uh, the way to invest on the stock exchange, because today they cannot do it yet, are the things that are coming in the future. The big other theme for those virtual bank will be the SME offers that they will provide to enterprise in Hong Kong because uh, there is a kind of mismatch between what is available right now in Hong Kong for corporate and also what is the need of the companies here in terms of loans, in terms of bank opening uh, account, in terms of deposit and credit card. If you think about the customer experience, that is something where the virtual banks concentrate on very early on. We all remember that um, social media post about the number of clicks needed to open a bank account yes. in, in UK. I, I thought that, that's an interesting one because many traditional banks probably are not even concentrating on that metric. It wasn't on their radar. Um, but uh, what do you think? Um, are users' expectations already are changing um, by interacting with these virtual banks? I think we have a lot to learn from big tech companies such as Spotify, Netflix, Amazon, or Deliveroo, where you can order anything in a couple of clicks. Mm-hmm. And, and the banking experience is not the same because you don't need to use banking services every day as you need maybe to have a transportation every day or order food every day. But the experience is, uh, from the customer uh, point of view, we want everything on demand right now. So everyone expects to have live and, and instant experience, right? So that's why the number of click and, and the user experience is really important right now for banks. Well, there, there must be limits to that as well, because uh, I don't think we ever need a one-click mortgage application, <laughs> because that is a big step in everybody's life to, to buy an apartment, to buy a, a house and then finance it. And they, they wouldn't just like uh, click here and it's done. In-person events and industry conferences have always been a great opportunity to bring together the worlds of emerging fintech and regtech and traditional financial institutions. As we know, unfortunately, this is not an option right now in the past few months. How have you and your team adapted to this uh, new situation? We still receive a lot of uh, invitation to be speakers on webinars or on a Zoom conference or be attended there. I think it's still difficult. So Hong Kong has a way sometimes to do kind of mix in-person and virtual events where at least a speaker can go to the room. I think this is the best uh, compromise right now. But it's true that it's really difficult to engage virtually 
via different platforms. What was really interesting is the need of continuing to do the business as BAU from the banks. Yeah. So most of my colleagues still come to me asking for help to onboard startups or find startups to help them to continue to do their work, but with a new solution that they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. So it's a way for us to keep engaging with the community and find startups to collaborate with us. So we reach out most of the time to them or we write some posts on LinkedIn or on some newsletters that we have to ask them to, to stay engaged with us. But I do miss the networking of these in-person in events, to be honest with you. I had a couple of funny stories where you maybe go to the restroom and you bump to someone and you can discuss with him. Or maybe on the lift, or maybe on the way to take a taxi, you have to share the taxi with someone else. And that person just explain what he's doing. And, and this can be an opportunity for you to, to start a relationship with another company or startup. Totally agree. In Hong Kong, especially in Singapore, is similar. You can have so many encounters on just basically on the street because it's such a concentrated place, and uh, a lot is happening in our industry. What I personally found was that um, the virtual events also work, funnily enough, for just a different cohort of attendees or uh, of people you engage with. A different cohort of people is good at networking in person than they are virtually. And some of them are, are better virtually. You get them easier and they have more time there than in person. So we sometimes are, are more successful uh, that way. I have a final question. If tomorrow you woke up and you had become the global financial regulator, how would you use your power? What's the first thing? I may create a team of developers and, and hire a CTO, a really good CTO, to push for more digital innovation from all parts, open some database to the, to the companies, banks and startups, and, and push for a lot of challenges open, uh, about open data, uh, federated data as well, because open data is just the first step. But what yeah. is really interesting for me is federated data and, and, and try to, to move all the things about like, the onboarding process, uh, sharing some database between banks or corporate, if possible, on some like basic data of customers uh, or from, from the different uh, uh, registry of companies with the players. It would be, be something really interesting. Thanks so much, Mehdi. Always great to talk to you. Looking forward to our next meeting. Me too. Thank you very much for having me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rec Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning RegTech provider, Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode, please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit knowyourcustomer.com slash regtalks.